Father, I thank you for a testimony of 71 years of marriage, a rare thing in our day indeed. And thank you for Madeline's commitment to her husband all these years. I pray that you'll open our eyes to understand wonderful things from your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there was a little girl who asked her father, uh, where did the human race come from? How did it start? And the father said, well, God made Adam and Eve, and they had children, and so mankind came from that. Two days later, the girl asked her mother the same question, and she answered, well, many, many years ago, there were monkeys from which the human race evolved. The confused girl returned to her father and said, Dad, how is it possible you told me the human race was created by God, and Mom says they developed from monkeys? The father said, well, it's very simple. I told you about my side of the family, and your mother told you about her side. <laughs> oh, yeah. If you only knew the bad Adam and Eve jokes I've read this last week, <laughs> that was gentle. Anyways, <laughs> well, if you've been able to spend any time in your life observing God's amazing beauty in creation, you can't help but be amazed and in awe of his power and diversity. A few years ago, my bucket list was to go to outside of Calgary to Banff and Lake Louise in the Canadian Rockies, and it was so stunning, breathtaking. It reminds me of what David wrote in Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. When I consider your heavens, the, he the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you take thought of him and the son of man that you care for him. David was in awe of God's majesty and it reminded him of his own insignificance as well. But even as a young boy taking care of his father's sheep, he knew the majestic mountains around, the powerful thunderstorms or oceans, he knew God cared for him. And how did he know that? He knew it because he knew Genesis chapter 1. Having that understanding of where you come from and to know your place in this vast universe is by understanding the passage we're looking at today. There is one final day left of creation, which brings us to the land, animals, and the very first people. So, verse 24 says, Then God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth after their kind. And it was so. God made the beasts of the earth after their kind, the cattle after their kind, and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind, and God saw that it was good. <clears throat> Obviously, when you think about what God made after its kind, this is because this is why grasshoppers don't mate with skunks and worms don't mate with rabbits. I mean, everything's after its kind. In the early part of the sixth day, then, God created the land animal, animals, and he classified them into three different categories, cattle, creeping things, and beasts of the earth. Cattle would include all the domesticated four-footed animals. I personally am very grateful to God that he created cattle uh, to be able to eat hay and grass and produce for us cheese and butter. That's a really good thing. <laughs> Um, and later on, obviously, steak. Uh, what an incredible design by God. Uh, God also prepared a provision for people that he would create. It was about to create by having sheep and goat and camels and donkeys and horses and oxen that would all assist mankind. The creeping things would be animals that move without feet or feet that are hardly noticeable. This would include worms and insects and small reptiles and small mammals. 
It is mind-bending to think of all the different species of insects and their abilities to defend themselves. Then you have the tiny ant who were encouraged in scripture to observe. They have no ruler, but they work very hard. They can lift 50 times their weight. There are at least 10,000 different kinds of ants. Think about all the species that are able to camouflage their bodies in their own environments. God has also given many animals and creatures uh, chemical defenses. And every part of his creation plays a key role in God's ecosystem. Only the mind of an all-powerful God could design all this detail. Another argument for creation being a literal six days and 24 hours a day is seen in the fact God created flowering plants, as we saw on day three last week. Such a thing could have never survived millions of years, as some would say, that happened between each day, quote-unquote. Uh, but there would have been no insects to ever pollinate them. They did not get created until day six. The beasts of the earth would be the large mammals like lions and elephants and large reptiles, including dinosaurs that became extinct after the flood. So when you think about the elephant, how so, it's so strong, its unique trunk, able to lift heavy things and able to still pick up a tiny piece of food, their trunk can weigh 300 pounds and holds up gallons of water. And if you ever watch programs about animals, you can't help but be amazed of their ability to survive in their particular environments and the special design God gave each one as their creator. <clears throat> so the fingerprint of God is on everything that he designed. At the end of verse 25, we read that God saw that it was good. So originally, these animals were given instincts and the ability to help them before the fall before the curse of sin. But once sin came into the world, animals changed. They became the hunters and the hunted. And that brings us to the next part of day six, which is the grand finale, the creation of people. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and the cattle and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of the earth and every tree which has fruit yielding seed, and it shall be food for you. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the sky and to everything that moves on the earth which has life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and morning the sixth day. So before God created Adam, the first man, he made a statement about what he was about to do. We read that God said, let us create man in our Image. So this is the first of several passages in the Old Testament where the plural is found of the divine Godhead having a conversation. Here we have the Godhead talking between themselves, and this is the first glimpse of the Trinity that we read more clearly in the New Testament. God said that he was making a man in his image and in his likeness. So what does this mean? It certainly doesn't mean that we look like God because God is spirit. This is what makes us different, though, from the animals. It's a reference to the nature of man's personality, which is like God. 
God is love. People can love. God can reason. He made people to reason. Uh, Animals have instincts, but they can't think through and come up with an equation. God creates, so we have the capacity to be creative. God is righteous, and man was created to be righteous and to worship him. I've been so helped in my studies by Henry Morris and his excellent commentary on Genesis, and I just want to give a quote from him. He said, we can only say that although God himself may have no physical body, he designed and formed man's body to enable it to function physically in ways in which he himself could function even without a body. God can see, hear, smell, touch, and speak whether or not he has actual physical ears and eyes and nose and hands and mouth. There is something about the human body, therefore, which is uniquely appropriate to God's manifestation of himself. And since God knows all his works from the beginning of the world, he must have designed man's body with this all in mind. Accordingly, he designed it not like the animals, but with an erect posture, with an upward gazing countenance, capable of facial expression, corresponding to emotional feelings, and with a brain and a tongue capable to speak. He knew, of course, that in the fullness of time, even he would become a man. And in that day, he would prepare a human body for the son who would be made in the likeness of men, just as God made man in the likeness of God. End of quote. So both men and women bear the image of God. The word used here for man is plural. It refers to all of humanity. That's why God forbids the murder of humanity, because all people are made in his image. God made man with a moral conscience, which makes men accountable to their creator, whether they deny him or not. Animals are not morally righteous, and even though mankind fell in Adam and the image of God was marred because of sin, we still remain, uh, retain rather God's image. This is why we are to treat all people as having value and being important. All people have great value and worth. We read in Genesis 9, 6 that man is valued above the animals because God said his life is sacred. God's image is stamped on people. Therefore, how we talk to one another, how we react to people, even really foolish people, is still to be guided by the fact that they and us, we are created in the image of God. This tells us clearly that there is no place for prejudice, for putting down people, not your husband, not your children, not your neighbor, not the political world of insanity that we're in, of being sarcastic or being bitter towards people. We are to treat all people with dignity because they are created in the image of God. That's why the critical race theory being taught or the woke movement that's invaded the church will never change anything. Until people bow before their creator and believe that every person on earth was created in his image and therefore have great value and importance, nothing's going to change the sinful heart of people who look down on others because of their own selfish pride. We see, at the, we see the Godhead in perfect agreement here, having the same purpose in this next aspect of his creation. God created man to rule over all he had just made to live on the planet Earth. Therefore, we are not another form of an animal, as evolutionists might say. 
We were created to serve God by ruling as his representatives on earth. God has a personal interest in the creation of man because he stamped his own image on people. And that's what sets people apart from the rest of creation. Even though mankind fell in Adam, the image of God now marred, but it still is the image of God. So when Adam sinned, we know everything changed. We'll be looking at that soon. No longer was Adam the king of the earth. Now he really became its slave. And he, with all the descendants uh, that he had, became slaves to sin and to sins less. We don't wear a crown today. Uh, we're just trying to survive on a dying and cursed planet, cursed with death and disease. Jesus came in time and history to rescue sinners like you and me. He regained mankind's lost dominance, and he is the one crowned with all glory and honor. So in verse 28, God blessed the woman and man and create, he created in his image, and he told them to be fruitful and to multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish and the birds and so on. So not only were Adam and Eve created to rule over what God created on earth, we see that they were created to fill the earth with other people. From the beginning, God's design was for marriage and procreation. God made the plant and animal kingdom to reproduce. And when it comes to the human race, there is a much greater meaning involved. The marriage relationship is created by God to be the most intimate of all relationships between people. The man and woman were to become one flesh. This special and unique bond uh, was designed by God to be lifelong and to be very intimate. It is different from every other human relationship. It's not what you have with parents or children or friends or siblings. God didn't create two men. God didn't create two women in the garden for this intimate relationship. It was a man and a woman with the capacity to procreate as they became one flesh. We'll see next time that God said it was not good that man should be alone. And so he created the woman taking her from the rib of man. But the command to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth will again be repeated after the flood in Genesis 9, and it was also told to Abraham and the nation of Israel. It was the design of God that he created us with the ability to procreate, bringing into this world more people made in his image. This is why scripture declares that children are a blessing from the Lord. They are not a burden. They are not a curse. <laughs> they are a blessing. <clears throat> Though some days that's hard to believe, but we know it's true. Anyways, verse 28 says that God blessed them. Imagine we read here that God blessed them in order uh, that he was kind to just bless people. He is the one who brings joy and happiness. I love what Paul wrote in Timothy. God gives us richly all things to enjoy. Song, uh, Solomon tells us in Ecclesiastes 5.18, it is good and fitting for one to eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor in which he toils under the sun all the days of his life, which God gives him, for this is his heritage. So for Adam and Eve, there, there was no sin. All the animals were tame. How fun is that? Walking up to a lion and a bear and a tiger and whatever. Food was abundant. I mean, the diversity was phenomenal. Everywhere, everywhere was the goodness of God on display. What God made was very good. How kind of God to want to bless those that he made with all of this kindness. That's who he is. 
He's the same. And not only was Adam given dominion over all that God had created, he also told Adam that he was responsible to care for it all. We'll see that further developed in the next chapter. So things are like, this is the general creation account. And then as we see next week, it'll be the fine details. So in chapter two, the first three verses, we read about God's rest after creation. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed and all their hosts. By the seventh day, God completed his work, which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it, he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. So the summary of all of creation is now complete. God will go into specific details, as I said, next week and the rest of this chapter. But we see from these first three verses that what God had made was complete. The seventh day is an exalted day. It is a unique day. It is sanctified. It is holy. It is set apart by God. The truth that God stopped all of his creative powers on the seventh day and made that day holy And he made that day special. So in verse 1, we see that the heavens and the earth were completed and all their hosts, all of the universe, all of the galaxies were all done. Every star was named. Creation was now complete. Nothing needed to be added. Oh, oh, I forgot to put that in there. Nothing needed to be changed. It was complete. God's entire universe was finished. There was nothing to add to it. So not only that, God is the one who continues to sustain all of this. If he did not, we would all die in an instant. He keeps the earth on its axis. He keeps the distance of the sun from the earth so we don't burn up or freeze up. It may seem to us, as I said last week, that world events are out of control. But that simply is not true. Everything is under his control. Hebrews 1.3 reminds us he upholds all things by the word of his power. So he is doing far more than just sustaining us, though. He is moving us toward the goal of spiritual maturity. God is involved in this world that he has created. Under his rule, there is nothing that happens by chance or by accident. You only have to look throughout the scriptures. Lamentations chapter 3, one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible, but we read in verse 27 or 37, who is there who speaks and it comes to pass unless the Lord has commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Lord that both good and ill go forth? As I mentioned, Psalm 103:19 last week, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his sovereignty rules over all. Well, God ceased from his labors on the seventh day, but he's not ceased from his involvement on planet earth. There was nothing more for him to create. The rest is not because he was tired, but because he had achieved all that he wanted to accomplish. We read in Isaiah 40, 28, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. I can't even imagine what it's like to not be tired. (laughs) Can you? As someone has said, we spend a third of our life sleeping so that the other two thirds are even possible. God never grows weary. He never needs rest. He ceased from activities because he was finished. Just as Jesus proclaimed on the cross, it is finished. He then rose from the dead three days later, ascended to the Father, sits at the right hand of God because his work was completed. It's the same thought here with creation. 
The Sabbath rest of creation week was intended by God as a picture or symbol of what true rest would be in the Messiah, in Jesus himself, according to Hebrews 4, 1 through 6, which I'm not going to take the time to read, but it talks about the Sabbath rest being in our salvation in Jesus. God instituted the Sabbath as that picture for Israel to know how they were to rest in the Messiah ultimately and his death on their behalf. God's rest reminds us it's a ceasing from our works as well, from trying to earn favor and go to heaven. The true way to keep the Sabbath is to rest in God's finished work on the cross through Christ. Jesus said that his yoke is easy and he gives rest for the soul. People have always felt like they need to do something or can do something to earn God's favor, but that is just simply not true. There, the scripture says, all our righteousness are filthy rags. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who does good, not even one. We must cease from our labors and trust the Lord's provision for salvation. So no one can earn their way to heaven. You have to see yourself in need of the sacrifice that Christ made on your behalf as God judged him for your sin. God also sanctified the the seventh day of creation and he blessed this day. He made it a day of rest. I'm quoting from John MacArthur's book on the battle for the beginning. He said, God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. He hallowed the day. In other words, he set it aside as a memorial He made it a permanent reminder of the glory of creation and the surpassing glory of the creator. Every week of our lives, we go through a cycle that is intended by God to remind us that he created the world in six days and rested on the seventh. The seventh day is a reminder that God is our creator. It is a memorial to a completed creation. And he says in our Western society where Saturday often means the day off, Obviously, it could be Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, whatever. But it is an ideal day for enjoying his creation, delighting in him and his goodness and the goodness of his great works. So the nation of Israel would later on be given much more details about keeping the Sabbath because God was making them distinct from other nations around them. He set the Sabbath day apart to be special and devoted to him. God never commanded the church to keep the Sabbath. Christians kind of took on the same legalism of the Pharisees who had all these rules for Saturday and imposed a bunch of rules on Sunday saying it's the Christian Sabbath, but that you don't find that in Scripture. The early Christians gathered on Sunday to worship Jesus, and they were very busy with fellowship and sharing and common meals and teaching and communion. Sunday is a day of worship, and it should be a day of joy as we remember Jesus rose from the dead, making our salvation possible. It is not the Christian Sabbath. And so we come to the end of the creation account. God saw all that he made and that it was very good. Adam had no restrictions given to him, as I said, that will come later in the law of Moses amongst the Jewish people. Isn't it interesting that God established the pattern of seven days here in the week of creation. So we have our calendars that are ordered by weeks. That's how we function. That's how we make calendars. Every week we live then should be a reminder that God created the world in six days and rested on the seventh day. You know, God knows our frame. 
The psalmist tells us he is mindful that we are but dust. And we know that. We're weak. And the principle of having a day, a break, a rest, is something God uh, knew that we needed. And it is important. We're not like the bionic people of the world that can just keep going like the energizing bunny. We need to have a day set aside. So as you can see, there is no evolution found here in Genesis. Rather, the biblical account from day one to day seven shows us the truth of God's complete and perfect creation in one week. All was perfect for everything on this planet in the heavens. So this is God's truth of the origin of man. This is why you have value. You're made in the image of God. We cannot pick and choose what we'll believe in the word of God. As I said it last week, it is by faith that we believe him and take him at his word. Why would someone believe Jesus came and died for their sins so they could experience salvation, but then deny him as the creator and sustainer of all things? So my takeaway on our study today is to remind you that God cares about you. He cares about every single detail in your life. He is involved. He is interested in creation. He is interested. That means he cares about you. And he is a kind, good God. He is good. He is a God who blesses and shows kindness to creation. The greatest kindness obviously ever shown was when he entered humanity himself through time and space and became a man to sacrifice his life to pay the debt for sin that we can never pay ourselves. So the question is, do you take God at his word and honestly believe that every person is created in the image of God? I'm sure there are people in your mind who you think, I don't think so. But that's not true. You may feel people, you may feel that people who behave like an enemy to you are nothing but pure evil. And let's face it, there are people that are pure evil, inspired by Satan himself. But in truth, they are fallen human beings, sinners at heart, but still created in the image of God. So how can we then think that we have the freedom to treat people or speak of people so harshly and so cruelly um, when they have such worth and value to God? There is no place then for any person who has experienced the forgiveness of God through faith in Jesus Christ and his death on, on the cross on your behalf to then turn around and refuse forgiveness to someone else who is an offense to you. God will judge all people. We are told, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So we have to leave the evil deeds of people in his hands. No believer should ever dishonor their creator by thinking they are better than other people, looking down on other people because they have a different color skin, because they have a different economic social or setting in society or their education is lacking or they live on the streets or their body is too big or whatever. All people have been made in the image of God. All people have that stamped on them. Therefore, all people have great value and great worth. How dare we slander people in our conversations and on public media. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that we know the truth of where we came from. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to live with the miserable thought that we evolved from slime. (laughs) That's a horrible thought that we came from a molecule or a cell or an explosion or something 
of that nature, Lord. That's the best mankind can come up with. It's really, it really is pathetic. I, I thank you that you have revealed the truth in your word. I pray that we will honor you today by treating with respect the other creatures that are people that you made in your own image. Lord, forgive us for our judgmental attitudes and our looking down on people because they're different than us or they don't do things the way we want them to do them. Lord, remind us of the truth that you've taught us here in our passage today. May we be women of God, women who obey your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Lee.